Welcome to the Cup of Cat podcast. My name is Cat, and yes, I am another 20-something-year-old who thinks podcasting is a good idea. We're all navigating this insane life together, and I want to be able to share my experience with you, as well as have conversations with others in hopes to create a space of positivity, learning, and growing together. I also want to use this as an opportunity to hold myself accountable for the things that I'm doing. I feel like your 20s is such a time of change and so many things are going on at the same time. So I actually want to stick to the things that I want to do and I want to report back to you and let you know how they're going. So if that all sounds good, grab a cup of whatever makes you feel good and enjoy. Okay, so... We've now progressed a little bit in the story <laughs> and you, you know, gaming is the thing that's getting you through. We've gone through the pandemic. You are slowly approaching the end of your, your journey here. And what was the thing that you started doing that actually started to heal you? Well, it got to the point where from, you know, trying the same old surgery again and again and again didn't work. And we were looking into all kinds of things. There was about, there was a period of maybe five months where I drank almost a litre of kefir milk every day. Now, if you don't know what kefir milk is, a simple way to describe it is um, rancid. Uh, it's, it's, it's horrible. They basically, they do some unspeakable things with yogurt and you end up with this what is to me, for my taste, quite an off-putting fizzy milk, which um, is the cornerstone of some kind. I think, I think parts of Central Asia, some of the stands, uh, Bulgaria, I think possibly Mongolia. I'm not sure, but that big sort of the middle hunky bit of Eurasia. A lot of cultures and cuisines use kefir milk hugely, and I, I'm not putting it down in an objective sense, but for me and the fact that it was associated with with sort of being medicinal for me. I hated this stuff, but it was, it is incredibly high in protein. And, and we were, you know, we were trying to think, okay, look, maybe it's diet. Maybe there's stuff that I need to be consuming. There is a deficiency of some sort. So I was on multivitamins, as many as I would, was safely allowed to take, and, and kefir milk for about five months. And it it did some i don't i don't know if it did anything really what what little effect it had was probably a placebo but that was the the first sort of you know quote unquote silly approach the unconventional approach that we took but actually what 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 finally did it was was a combination of two things it was a type of therapy physical therapy a, a sort of a treatment that I could not get done on the NHS in the UK, not like a sort of quote unquote recognized treatment in the UK, which I now completely stand by and and doctors who I'm friends with, including my sister, reckon that it, it ought to be, you know, regularly used and recommended at the very least, but also quite scarily, a drastically, and I mean drastically different type of conventional medical intervention too. Can you elaborate a little further on what those two were? I would love to. I left that as kind of a cliffhanger so you could drop in a, a message from one of your sponsors or something. I'm <laughs> sure you've got <laughs> I'm sure you've got uh, you know, Hello Fresh. Today's sponsor is uh Kefir Milk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, um so the first thing was I actually I got to the point where my shot glass became a cavity 
smaller than my fingernail, mm. which was insane, like surface level deep, like millimeters deep and less than, you know, a centimeter in, in area, a centimeter squared in area. And this was something called, drum roll, hyperbaric oxygen therapy. It sounds quite extraordinary. And you know what? It bloody is. It's basically what happens is you you sit in a, a tank, uh, something that looks like the nose cone of a nuclear submarine. And I say submarine not just because of the shape, but because of the kind of door that they have into it. It's like a pressurized container. And you, you go in and you sit down and you bring a book or a Nintendo Switch or something. And they 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 lock you in like the, the way that they close a submarine or a bleeding space shuttle door. You know, there's a big clunk, there's a wheel, you know, it's all very Soviet the way it looks, you know. And basically what they do, you sit there and you you pop an oxygen mask on, you breathe pure oxygen, and they crank up the pressure to the equivalent of being, I think, something like 20 meters below sea level, I think. It's a notable difference. You you know, you feel in your ears as a there's a rather unpleasant pop as you are put under, they say. And you, you're under this high pressure environment. You you remember, just like just like life. And um <laughs> breathing pure oxygen for an hour, hour at a time. It's 45 minutes of being under and then seven and a half minutes either side to put you into pressure or out of pressure. And what it does, the the, the idea behind it is as you're breathing in as whacking great quantities of oxygen and you're in this incredibly high pressurized, highly pressurized environment, it forces oxygen and oxygenated blood into, into capillaries unknown, in, in, into parts of your body that would not normally be that well oxygenated. And oxygen is the fuel of your body. Stuff, wherever there's stuff happening in your body, oxygen is there and it's, it's getting it done. You know, blood is there and it's getting it done. And, and what this therapy does is that there's no, you know, without sounding disrespectful to certain beliefs and practices, there's no hocus pocus about it. It is literally just how can we manually force oxygenated blood into every square nanometer of your body that we can? It is, it, as far as, you know, unconventional medical treatments go, it is very grounded. It is very sort of quite, you know, quite normal, almost mundane. And I had sessions at a hyperbaric oxygen therapy base, GAF, for I think a month and a half, two months. And the progress that I saw in that month and a half, two months was greater than what at that point was three years of of, of canoodling around with um, with surgery and and protein and lying on my side. It worked wonders for me. It worked absolutely wonders for me. And like I said, it got the wound to an incredibly small point. It, it got me all the way to the finish line, basically. The progress, the rate at which I was making progress was staggering. And can I just, I just want to shout, I just want to, uh, I hate the term shout out. It's so stupid, but I want to give a shout out to the place I went. I um, Of course. It's, it's a place in Hunslet, which is near where I live um, in the Leeds area in the north of, of England. It's called MS Oxygen Therapy, I think it was, Erica. But it, it, you can find it with a quick Google because it is one of two such centers in the whole north of England. And what's crazy about this place is it, it's the name MS is mainly recommended for people with multiple sclerosis. I was there for a month and a half, and there were people who, who I had my first session with that, um, you know, that 
that weren't there by the time I finished. Mm. It's it's recommended as a sort of you know a last um, last chance for people with very very serious conditions. But for non-healing wounds, it's also incredibly helpful, as it was for me. I went, I think at first, I went three or four times a week, and I gave a five-pound donation each time voluntarily. You walk in, there's like a charity shop, kind of thrift store type thing there, with these two big tanks that can sit six or seven people, and, and that's their operation. They sell your old crockery and your old VHS tapes and what have you to fund the place. And they don't demand donations. Anyone who needs it is welcome to go. And they are doing God's work there. They really are. The only other place in driving distance from where I live was a two and a half hour drive up to um, Hull, where the chap that runs it charges hundreds of pounds a session. So these people in Leeds running this place, they are doing God's work. They saved my life. I'm I'm pretty sure it's not an exaggeration to say. Yeah. And if it weren't for them, you know, I wouldn't have um gone to the point where I was eligible for a very different kind of operation. How serendipitous and how lucky that this place is literally in the town where you live. Oh, it was crazy. I mean, it, I mean, it, it could have been so much worse. It wasn't quite in the town, but it was there was one it was, a, it was a single bus journey away that took less than 20 minutes. It's insane. It's insane. You know, I don't know if I necessarily believe in God, but that's uh, that's one for the yes, he does exist column, definitely. Mm. So what, it, it got to the point where the wound was was not very deep at all and very, very small, but it wasn't completely finishing. It wasn't, you know, going away. We tried chemical cauterization with a little itty-bitty piece of silver nitrate to try and singe uh, it shut didn't quite take but after the oxygen therapy got me to this point and the cauterization wasn't really working in sealing the wound we were literally looking at uh, sealing this thing shut now the surgeon said well you know we got we got two options we can we can keep trying with the cauterizations we can graft take a bit of skin from your thigh and you know cover it up that way or we do what's called a z-plasty and a z-plasty is where they cut a a Z for Zorro or a Z for my cousins across the pond there. And basically the the sort of the diagonal cut of that Z shape goes over the where the wound is. And then they stitch it up in such a way that it closes it up. So if you've got like a, a gap in this in the flesh, in the skin, in the surface, you make this cut and then you rely on the elasticity of a much larger area of skin than the affected area to then stitch it shut, cover it, and it heals. So you can cover an area of damaged skin, an open wound, without actually bringing in any new flesh. Now, the way the surgeon explained it to me was that the graft is obviously pretty drastic, but this Z-plasty is less drastic, but it will change you permanently. There are people who've had this procedure done who get nerve damage and they never regain feeling in the area. And additionally, because of the geography of where the wound is, uh, the you know the thing is, we would be you know changing your your form, your shape, your body permanently. However, in doing this operation, we would change the geography of your of that area. We would change the, the layout, the shape of it so much, so drastically that it would actually be physically impossible 
for this condition to recur. And I said, that one, yeah, that one, that one, that one. Now, Z-plasty, plasty, that's the plastics, plastic surgery, right? So it's not like I have, you know, a great... Um, a great a great rack now or anything <laughs> but what I what I do have is this wicked Zorro shaped scar where the top third of my butt used to be nice so I, I had this procedure done and I had 36 stitches overall wow it was insane the hospital stay was horrific I was in there for a week and it was the single worst week of my life that one week was tougher than any part of this journey that I'd faced up to that point. I had the operation and then afterwards, I I can remember this, I I didn't have access to my phone or my stuff. And I was lying on my side in bed, unable to move, having panic attack after panic attack and crying and crying because I couldn't get the thought out of my head that no one knew where I was, no one knew how I was. Mm. And and that plus that, that hospital phobia it's probably a very, very clever Latin term for hospital phobia, but um, the the hospital phobia that I had, the the, the 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 anxiety and fear that I got from clinical environments and the isolation and the sort of vulnerability and the nakedness and the viscera of it, it just it piled on top of me, doused me, and I was I was in my own hell because of where it was. I was incredibly anxious about you know regular bodily functions, the knowledge that I had these staples in me that I was, you know, for the first couple of days, you know, you don't, you don't heal straight away. So you are being held together. Mm. I can't explain what it did to my, my mental state, my emotions, my brain at the time. And I suppose also the the trauma of having those last couple of years in your head as well and the feeling after all of those surgeries and, and them not having worked. And so you've got this sort of playing in the back of your mind as well where you're so close, but you've been so close so many times in the past as well. So I can imagine that the anxiety must have been just uncomprehendable. Well, yeah, I mean, the last few years actually only – came into my head maybe a few days after I got home because when I was in that hospital the only thing that was in my head the only thing I could see was the fact that I'm in this hell get me the out you know yeah and it was just horrific I know for a fact there are people who who have worse um, worse weeks than I did then, have worse years, have, have, you know, lives which are, you know, whatever. But for me, you know, I've always believed everything's relative. For me, that was by such a long way the hardest, most galling, most terrifying, demented little chapter of my life. I remember the day I was, I was let out. I couldn't think about how scared I was that I would have, still have all these staples in me and be so fragile and unable to, you know, do anything and function confidently and healthily while being at home, not surrounded by medical professionals, but with my parents. <laughs> None of that came in. I just, the, the day I was discharged, I literally counting the seconds. And I know that's like such a cliche, counting the seconds, counting the minutes. Mm. I was literally taking every, every single passing second. I was just, I'm that much closer to getting out of here and never coming back again. I'm never, for, for the love of God, I'm never stepping foot in this kind of place, this kind of situation ever, ever again. 
it was such a trial and it was such a thing to to to, to leave that place and once i was in the car awkwardly like spread across the back seat like a like an ikea wardrobe and being ferried home only then once i was actually out of the building was i actually even physically able to think about okay how am i getting up the stairs in my house how am i gonna wash myself how am i gonna go to the toilet how am i gonna gonna you know what what am i gonna do what's the best way to do this what clothes do i have that can work with these kinds of wounds and like i was so engrossed and 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 absorbed by this hell as soon as we got out of the car park i could i actually had my my clarity of thought back and i could actually think okay life exists the world exists i I, i've got to think about tonight tomorrow next week it was absolutely horrific and um it's uh for anyone who spent a long time in hospital with or without this kind of phobia these anxieties that i have i will happily buy you a pint because bloody hell, I don't know how you manage it. Because it, 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 for me, it is the ninth circle of hell. It really is. It really was. Well, there is a a good ending to this story, which we will save for the next episode because we are running out of time. <laughs> but Tom, thank you so much for sharing with me and sharing your story. And I think just, you know, hearing it from a different perspective is also just so I I really do appreciate that. I think, you know, I've been in your life for that long, but just hearing it from a retrospective perspective as well kind of just puts it in a different light. And I think it's an important conversation to have because, you know, so many people are going through things like this all the time. Mm. And I think it would be really helpful to help other people not feel so alone in the world. Yeah. And if they are, you know, feeling alone in the world, to know that there's someone else out there who's been through it, who understands, who has had that harrowing feeling, and to know that, like, it, you know, it's going to be okay. And even if it's not okay, it's also okay. And I appreciate you opening up like this, and I appreciate you being so vulnerable. So, and on our podcasts, <laughs> thank you, you very I, much. I appreciate it. I appreciate the, uh, the opportunity to to, to reach uh, an audience with this. Can I just say before we finish, I and this is about as men's rights activist as I'll ever willingly get in my life, never mind in front of people. But this condition, pylonidal sinus, it does overwhelmingly affect men. It affects women too. In fact, the only other people that I know personally who've had this are women. But statistically, it overwhelmingly affects men. This is a you know, for that reason, I guess you could say it's a men's health issue. And mm. this is something which can be so dangerous because it's so unknown. There's a guy I heard of through my mother who had this exact same condition. He wasn't as lucky as me. He was post-op and failing to heal for five years. And it took so much from him and robbed him so cruelly that after five years of fighting for no progress, he took his own life. This can happen to anyone, especially if you are a bit fuzzier like I am. But even if not, like I said, you know, some very sort of smooth uh, women I know have, have had this too. I just, I, I want people to to know about this. I want people to be aware of this and men, especially if you're, if you're out there and you're listening to this and you're a bloke or if you're not a bloke, anyone really, but especially if you're a bloke, add this to your daily routine of hygiene and washing. Check that area, base of your spine every day. The moment you find something 
even if you think it could just be a bit of lint or whatever, take a photo, try and get a look at it, see if you can speak to a doctor, just, just get it sorted. Do not bury your head in the sand like me because I came so close to losing so much more than I did. And others like me were not so lucky. So please be aware, check yourself and do not be afraid to go to the doctor about this. You have no idea how common this actually is, um, how many of these GPs all around the world see. So, you know, check yourself and and get it looked at because, you know, I could have, I, I got very, very lucky, you know. Yeah. As much as, and, and, and how insane and, and traumatic your experience was, that was considered lucky. And so, yeah, I think it's really so, so, so important to talk about these things. Go check it out, please. Look after yourselves. <laughs> So yeah, thank you, Tom. And thank you for all the listeners who tuned in today. I, I hope this wasn't too gory. Maybe we'll put a disclaimer at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> Stay tuned for next week's episode where we talk about the light at the end of the tunnel yes. and how we get to where we are today and sort of, you know, how good it can get after how bad it could possibly get. Mm. <laughs> thank you, Tom. Thank you so much. And I will chat to you soon. Thank you, Kat. Love you loads, mate. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to come and listen to what I have to say and listen to my podcast. I really appreciate that. I love you so very, very much. If you liked what you listened to, please give me a five-star rating or a thumbs up on whatever platform you're listening to. And if you'd like to support this podcast, please consider subscribing or following again on whatever platform you're listening to. I appreciate you. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day and I'll chat to you soon. 